You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Hey Greg, I have a script I want you to look at. It's a science fiction film about a space station with a black hole for an engine. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. I'll get my people to get some eyes on it. Oh, where we're going, we don't need eyes oh, to sorry, see. Oh, shut up. Oh, I have some notes. Welcome, everyone, to I Have Some Notes, the movie podcast with keeps, cuts, punch-up, and tweaks for mediocre movies as voted by you. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Greg Beaver. And uh, we are uh, uh, missing uh, uh, one Scott C. Bourgeois today, uh, uh, unable to make it. Um, uh, obviously, wish wish he was here, but the show must go on. Uh, and so uh, we have, we've brought in a ringer. Um, of course, we are talking about the film, uh, 1997 film Event Horizon. Uh, and I was like, hey, who who do I know who has definitely seen Event Horizon, definitely has things to say, uh, and hopefully is free on a Thursday night. Uh, <laughs> of course, we are joined uh, last minute, but but so excited and glad to have him here because I, I know he's got insights. Um, he is the co-editor of the unofficial Hugo Book Club blog, which you can find on Twitter at Hugo underscore book underscore club. Please welcome my friend, Olav Rockney. Hey, pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks for thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for coming on on such short notice. It's it's funny that we like this episode's coming out late. It's it's a bit ironic that like I we we had a COVID scare last week and um, we rescheduled to today just so we can get it uh, an episode out to out to everyone as soon as possible. And then last minute, unfortunately, Scott couldn't join us, so it was a little bit of a tough couple weeks. That uh, I have some note studios, but. Uh- um, grateful, grateful. The, the yeah. The, in fact, when we when we bumped recording last week, your name got floated around. Olav, I was like, <laughs> we were, yeah. like we we settled on bump a week, but option two was call Olav last week. So, um, well, yeah, this is one of my all time favorite movies. Uh, so I'm actually kind of thrilled to get to talk about this because Event Horizon is a stone cold modern classic that is underappreciated. Ooh. That's coming yeah, in hot. I, is it is it going to make it difficult to reimagine it for you? I, and I actually was thinking about that quite a bit today because I, I know that the movie is flawed. Like, I love it, but I see its flaws. And then I think, well, if you polished it more, would that take away from the manic, gonzo, batshit energy of Event Horizon? Like... If you tr- made the bi- intro more coherent, if you uh, tightened up some of the character arcs, would that somehow make it less event horizon <laughs> than it is? Those were my two fixes. <laughs> oh. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll find out. Brilliant. I'm glad. <laughs> um yeah it's certainly certainly a a charming film it was my first time seeing this all together um and then uh, obviously olav one of your favorites uh when it was first out 
I'm like one of the six people who saw it in the theater. Well, yeah, 1997 was a big year for movies, so I feel like this one might have got overshadowed by all sorts of shit. Oh, and it was but, a flop. Like, it was a mega flop. Yeah, the the Wikipedia was saying it really uh, found its life on, on DVD. Well, what's interesting is uh, they were supposed to have 10 weeks to do the post-production, but then because of Titanic's release date, they pushed this one forward to August uh, be- to fill a gap in their schedule. And that meant that all of the post-production got compressed down to four weeks. So they did a slapdash quick cut that was long and bloated, uh, and it tested incredibly poorly because of all of the maggots and the blood orgy. Uh, and so the studio came back and said, you got to cut down on uh, the various uh, excesses of this movie. So they trimmed it from like a two and a half hour epic down to one and a half hours. And the result is incredibly tight, but I can also see why it didn't appeal commercially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a bit of a, like he's, like the the director's kind of, he had like a fairly big commercial success right before this because he did, he did Mortal Kombat right ahead of Event Horizon. And you can see kind of some of the popcorn blockbuster elements in it, like the in the way that um, the crew and their sort of quirks are constructed. Um, so it feels it feels to me like I, I know you just said that it was it was bumped it was bumped up to to August, but it does feel like it was almost meant for summer, you know. And maybe summer in 1997 is not the same as summer now, but. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, movie release dates are always a, a funny one. Like, I love. I, I love when I found out that anything released in January is basically every studio saying, "Hey, this movie's shit. You don't have to watch it. We're putting it out in January for a reason." Um, once I learned that, it was like all sorts of things made sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, this movie, of course, uh, uh, recommended by uh, or requested rather uh, by none other than Aaron Beaver. Uh, a little, of, a little uh, bit of inside uh, baseball. <laughs> Greg, Greg Spouse's fame, but uh, please to everyone who who is listening, we we are taking uh, suggestions for films. Uh, we are then narrowing them down to to voting categories, uh, and so all of the uh, movies we watch this season will be selected by you. So if you have more suggestions, please send them our way. Um, but yeah, it was my my first time with this, and then obviously, uh, Greg, if your wife is suggesting it, probably you know not your first time, not her first time. Oh, it's not my first rodeo with the old Event Horizon. I I, I don't remember exactly when I first see it. I, I don't think I'm like Olaf and, and saw it in theater. I, I I think I picked it up on DVD as well. Um, and I I haven't seen it too many times, but I did have some warm fuzzy feelings surrounding it. Like I I remember it being good. Um, and it, and it seemed like the type of movie that like, I would remember being good, but isn't really good when I, um, upon rewatch, but, um, I had a decent time with it the second time around. It's, I mean, it's, you know, like Olaf said, it's, it's, it's hardly perfect, but, um, you know, it's, it's a good time. Yeah. I, uh, I certainly enjoyed it as well, though. Uh, also this week I watched, uh, The Thing for the first time. Um, uh, uh, astute listeners will remember back in around last Halloween, I was like, oh, okay, I'll watch the thing. I've never seen it. I should watch it. It was sort of my, I was, I was hyping up They Live and then copped to that I'd never seen the thing. Um, so the thing, I, I, we're not here to talk about the thing, but the thing was exceptional. I loved it. This movie is what I thought the thing was. 
and then the thing turned out to have a lot more gross puppets uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like from what i knew about the thing that that's sort of what this movie delivered on um, <laughs> um but of course there's no does that make sense right like it's you know people trapped in a research station fighting some unknown creature except uh, in, yeah in, in the thing it's sticky and covered in corn syrup and in this it's more uh, uh cerebral and ephemeral and incorporeal it's like somewhere between the movie alien and the movie hellraiser yes hmm like there's definitely a pinheadedness about the ship design like even the warp drive core almost reminds me of that puzzle box right yeah damn yeah and it's got and it's got a bunch of pins in it too <laughs> one like the most important character in the movie is the title character the ship itself and one of the things this movie gets so right is in the production design like everything from the corridor that looks like the inside of a garburator to uh the the weird spiky things all throughout the ship or the the jet drives on the outside that are shaped like uh notre dame cathedral like it is filled with just beautiful beautifully thought out visuals yeah it uh it certainly uh certainly was a feast uh for the for the eyes in that regard yeah this the spinny the spinny uh hallway was i was i was into that um but of course for those who maybe don't don't know uh exactly uh which film you're talking about you don't feel like googling it i got some some details here uh, 1997, uh, directed by uh, a fellow, you know, credits came up and I'm watching the credits, it says Paul Anderson I'm like, damn, this is a real departure from Boogie Nights, it was 97, <laughs> was a busy year for him and this uh, is and the best real... movie ever directed by someone named Paul Anderson <laughs> um, obviously not Paul, no, obviously not PTA we're looking at PWSA uh, Paul W.S. Anderson uh, of Mortal Kombat fame uh, of Resident Evil fame uh, and not of There Will Be Blood fame. Um, you like this better than There Will Be Blood? Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, the bowling doesn't you'll work drink as well You'll drink Paul W.S. Anderson's milkshake every time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, written by Philip Eisner, uh, starring, of course, Lawrence Fishburne as Miller, Sam Neill as Weir, uh, Kathleen uh, Quinlan as Peters, and Jolie Richardson as Strack. And we'll, uh, we'll throw to the trailer here and then uh, get into our thoughts on the film. At 0300 this morning, TDRS picked up an automated navigation beacon broadcasting at two-minute intervals in Neptune orbit. Neptune orbit. This is incredible. It's the event horizon. She's come back. The event horizon... It's the culmination of a secret government project to create a spacecraft capable of faster-than-light flight. The ship doesn't really go faster than light. What it does is it creates a dimensional gateway that allows it to jump instantaneously from one point of the universe to another light years away. Where has she been for the last seven years, Doctor? That's what we're here to find out. After seven years, in deep space. There were 18 people on board this ship when it disappeared. I want them all accounted for. Opening outer door. It came back abandoned. Any crew? Negative. This place is a tomb. 
but it didn't come back alone. The Event Horizon, a faster-than-light starship prototype, is thought to be lost in space and time when it suddenly reappears in Jupiter's atmosphere. A rescue crew is dispatched to the gas giant to find any survivors and salvage the ship if possible. Tagging along is Weir, the ship's designer who is far more concerned with his invention than the people aboard it. The team discovers the Event Horizon crew mutilated in ways that would make even a French horror director wince, and it soon becomes clear they killed each other. All hell breaks loose, literally, when crewman Mr. Justin walks through the FTL gate and the crew must battle the supernatural and themselves to escape. I gotta, uh, I must admit that every time someone said Mr. Justin, it made me giggle a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) It's Neptune, not Jupiter. Is it Neptune? It's Neptune. I mean, they're both gas giants, right? At least I think I got that right. I wanted to to circle back to the uh, the production design discussion that we were having earlier um, because I, I I agree with you Olav that um, it the the production design is sharp and it's very atmospheric um, and it certainly suits the um, uh, you know the the genre like it's you know it's a horror space film. The, the main setting is very scary looking. Um, however, <laughs> like the, the Event Horizon looks so much different in terms of its design um, compared to their uh, rescue ship. Like the rescue ship looks a lot like um, something right out of Alien, right? Lots of knobs, um, you know, the standard chairs, that that uh, that hook chair that uh, Lawrence Fishburne had, that was totally impractical. I thought that was I thought that was cool, even though he looked funny swinging in it. But like, it has a much more has a much more gritty feel. And when they move, when they go over to the Event Horizon, which is supposed to be uh, like basically a science vessel, it's strange that like all of the uh, knobs and things like that disappear and you don't have labels on anything like there's like there's a one point where um, Sam Neill opens a hatch in the uh, warp drive area and it like he just opens a hatch that um, looks like everything else in the room and I and I couldn't like <laughs> my, all I could think of was like I was like how none of these things are labeled how did you know that that was the right place to go like I realized that like it, it, this is kind of like dumb nitpicky stuff but I, I think because of that contrast between the two ships it kind of strained my suspension of disbelief a little bit um it not you know not to, to the point of taking me out of the movie or anything but it was on my mind so i guess like i guess i might have wanted to see um you know a little bit more sciencyness in that in that particular ship but that that's a pretty minor quibble but is this really about sciencyness like this is this is lovecraft this is mm-hmm. uh there's there are secrets in the universe that man was not meant to know and that's kind of the antithesis of science. 
A hundred percent. Interesting. I, I, yeah. yeah, I think I, I think you're right. And I like I I don't want to sound like I don't understand the, the decisions that they were that they were making with the production design. Um, it, you know, it's just um, I don't know. Like it just it just seems to me like there's um there's a way to kind of have both and uh, to make like a sciency ship uh, feel um creepy. Um, without it feeling like um, H.R. Giger painting, you know, I don't know. That's it, it's it's a small complaint, um, and I like I'm I'm willing to be outvoted on <laughs> on how we feel about it. But it just doesn't look like an H.R. Giger painting, in my opinion, because Giger looks very bulbous and and organic, and this is the the event horizon is sharp and architectural and like a meat grinder inside. Sure. Yeah, I think it's the warp room itself that had, you know, it's it's certainly a little bit more bulbous and it, it doesn't you're right. It doesn't look particularly organic, but there's there's something about that um that um color palette and detail that kind of reminded me of Giger. The color palette definitely. It's just yeah. so spiky. Yes, yeah. yeah. You're you're 100% that's not like <laughs> Giger likes his lines, his nice curvy lines for sure. <laughs> One of the things I love about this movie, and I actually think the existence of an unobtainable director's cut, because, you know, the, 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 there was talk of a director's yeah. cut for a long time, but all of the footage is pretty much lost or degraded. And the fact that that is impossible actually adds to the mystique of this movie. It almost bleeds off the edge of, of, the, of the frame, because, like... They filmed like 20 minutes of a blood orgy with, uh, <laughs> th- they hired uh, actors from the pornographic film industry because no like uh, Hollywood person was willing to debase themselves in the ways that it took to film this violence. And you only get snippets and shots of it and you just go, okay. So what, how weird was the imagination behind this? Yeah, that, that, I like that, uh, I like that analogy makes you almost like wonder if, if the, the footage is going to turn up nine years later orbiting Neptune, uh, just like to, <laughs> or, or better, a better analogy would be like the fact, you know, in the, in the early part of the movie, he hears the, uh, like little degraded clips of Latin, uh, uh, save us, save us. Uh, and then realizes later when he gets better version of the audio and more of it, uh, it's oh save yourself from hell. Um, th- very much like this, like the lost footage. This 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 movie is is a ninety minute fragment of a larger, crazier thing that happened, uh, and they get this little muddled distress call that is a little snippet of a larger, crazier thing that happened. Um, and yeah, it's an interesting parallel. This is, this is why I almost wonder if the polished, refined, perfect version of this movie would be a step backwards, because they never really explain the whole um, Sam Neill's character, um, Dr. Billy, Billy's wife. Um, they never really fully explain that. They never really fully explain uh, why Kathleen Quinlan's Peter's uh, character is so obsessed with her son and you don't need to because you sort of figure it out you imagine it and what you imagine is probably better than what it would have been 
I think with his you know, I- wife, his there's um I th- I feel like there's a piece there's there definitely feels like there's a major piece missing there that that um more directly ties him to um the event horizon because like I'm I, you know I'm left to I'm le- like I had at various times and maybe maybe the, maybe this is, like you say this is just you know to the movie's credit because you're it, it gets your mind going but like at various times I thought that she was on the original ship or that they had both gone through the portal when they were um, creating the ship and it already experienced hell and that's why she committed suicide and and all these kind of various things but it just like it, it didn't like ultimately it didn't it didn't it just didn't really go anywhere which is just the the frustrating part of it for me yeah I I a little this is a little bit of, of my my cuts or not my cuts but my, my changes my notes as it were but I like what you said there Olav of like you you imagine it you fill it in. Um, because while I was thinking about my notes, part of it was, oh, I'd like to have more from these characters. I'd like to have more understanding of their backstories. So when their baggage and their fears come front and center in the form of the hallucinations brought on by the event horizon, we care a little more about the characters because we know more about their backstory and why they're tripping. Because for the most part, really only Miller's story about having left a guy behind gets gets that sort of like uh, attention um and as i was thinking about that i was then being like okay what if in in an alternate like well before you said this in an alternate reality this movie does have all the fixes we suggest including spend more time with the characters and then we sit down to watch it for an episode of the podcast i can hear either me or scott being like I don't I don't need I don't need to know all this boring backstory stuff. I don't need to know all this shit. Like we can or or like we can find it out on the on the on the um you know, we find it out after they're uh, uh deep into it and not um before they go into cryo or just after they get out of cryo. Uh and so there was a little part of me I had some reflection on our podcast where I'm like is it just that we're never happy like we demand one thing and you know, if they had done it we would just ask for the opposite yeah, and then I, it's I, funny that you said that cuz um Here's what I like yeah, about Yeah, I, I think there is something nice though. about just sort of filling in the gaps. Since, since we're talking about the malaise of this podcast, um it's actually what I like about this podcast ahead of most other movie related podcasts because so often you get a criticism where it's this movie is brilliant or this movie is terrible and there's no middle ground the very fact that you're asking or suggesting that there can be notes always means that the movie isn't perfect on one hand but also that it's not irredeemable and I think that actually always frames the discussions really nicely. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. And I think of the, of the you know, uh, 50 or so movies I've now been a part of, I think the only one where we were just like, how about Don't is the Dungeons and Dragons movie. <laughs> that really seems like the only one where I was like, this just didn't need to happen at all, period. <laughs> no. It's not. It was truly irredeemable. <laughs> this movie... I- uh, so Event Horizon is a tight 90 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. And it, one of the things that I like structurally is that um, the first 30 minutes or so is pretty slow-paced. It gives you some of the explanation, you know, the scene where they take the, pa- the, the, the nudie magazine and poke a pen through it to explain a folding of space. 
you get all of that lead up and then 30 minutes in exactly one third of the way through is when the first character gets messed up it's uh the the, the engineer justin uh gets sucked into the portal and things start to go south and then you've got almost exactly 30 minutes of building tension as they know they're in trouble uh things are starting to go weird and then at that two-thirds mark it's hard turn we know that that this ship is evil we know that we're trying to survive but we are almost trapped and it's 30 minutes of action and trying to survive yeah that's just, a good point just tight pacing well structured yeah, I think I, I yeah I mentioned earlier that the the pacing I think for the most part worked for me. There, I I think there was a couple things that um, maybe suffered slightly. I, I think um, Sam Neill's transition into um, possession, I guess is is that what we want to call it um, by the ship um, is I think at best like just slightly rushed. Um, it's basically in that scene where the where the demon or whatever it is is banging on the door or they're all hallucinating that there's something banging on the door and like that's kind of like the the main scene that 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 he just you know kind of flips a switch and i think i would have liked to have seen maybe a little bit more or a run up to that but um you know it's it's fairly minor yeah, I think I think I'm going to uh, not that I ever got to make it, but I think I'm going to take back the criticism I was going to make, which was like I'd like to have gotten more time with these characters. Uh I think just him. I think just a little more explanation for him would have been nice, but so many times like when I think about Kong Skull Island or Life or any of these movies where it's like a disaster survival situation where people are just trying to survive, I consistently say in in home and on this podcast, I really don't care that much about these characters backstories <laughs> and in this case i'm like well this is i i got what i asked for i got what i asked for <laughs> um and i'm i'm kind of the more i think about it the more i'm okay with it i'm more i i i got that she was sad about her kid i got that you know um we got just enough of the the guy miller left behind um that that it, it made time for action and sci-fi intrigue uh, as opposed to sort of like potentially impotent, uh, um, you know, oh, we got to care about the, the person because they had a sad thing happen back in the before times. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, yeah. I mean, when you're, when you're, when it's a horror, uh, horror movie and you're, you're lining up, you know, fodder for the kill, like having, you know, you need to be economic about, uh, your character development because you know you when someone dies you want to make sure that the audience cares so um giving everyone just a little a little character piece um you know the the one character i think it's peters right that cares about her her son like that's essentially it there's a little there's a couple lines in there about um there being some tension between her and um uh the son's father and uh you know that's uh that's kind of all you really need and and then the atmospheric stuff kind of takes over when she sees her you know her kid in pain and stuff like that and and all that kind of stuff so you know i think you know the movie does a fairly good job of of being economic with that development when you've got a script this tight in terms of its characterizations 
it really pays to have a couple of solid actors in there. And I'm thinking of uh, Jason Isaacs, who, you know, he's shockingly young in this movie, but he plays the medical officer DJ. And, like, he gets a handful of lines, right? And you sort of get who he is, just because he acts the shit out of those lines. Like, he just <laughs> nails that part. Yeah, I think... Um... Yeah, definitely I mean, the I think cast, not, a, not an issue. Yeah, the, Sorry, cast is, the cast is all good. Um, Sean Perkley um, is great. Like, I just love Sorry, Sean Which Berkley. character was he? Uh, he was the pilot, the one who didn't want to be on board. Right, 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 right. He's yeah. the son of uh, one of the Doctor Who actors. I uh, I think the only the only character that maybe um, didn't work was um, the gentleman from Sarah Connor Chronicles, whose name I don't remember. Um, but he was, I, I was talking about earlier about those characters that had that sort of, uh, popcorn, um, blockbuster affair. Like he was, he was kind of put in there to have be the, the character with the attitude, uh, and to, Oh, know, the rescue guy. Yes. And, uh, I don't know, like, like mostly it was fine. I didn't, he didn't, it wasn't like he was irritating or anything like that. It's just like a couple times. And I think these, I think it was like ADR dialogue where it was just like, it was just a little much and maybe um, kind of pulled me out of the movie thematically a little bit yeah. the one where he's like, where he's like uh, zipping back to, uh, to Venus um, telling, shouting, I'm coming back motherfuckers or whatever it was. He was saying like, it, it's, it's, it was that kind of stuff that uh, I, I, maybe I, didn't work for me. I agree. And that's one of those things where I want, look at it. I'm like, can we get rid of this? That that's, that's the stuff I would be paring away at. That and some of the techno babble. Like, there's no reason to call the docking tube between one ship and the other an umbilicus. Like, <laughs> deploy the umbilicus. Like, why are we using that kind of language? Just, just, just speak plain English. Maybe they were uh, mystery science theater fans. <laughs> deep cut well we should uh, we should go for break and uh, and get to the changes i guess yeah let's uh let's go to the go to the break and uh, we'll be back shortly with our fixes uh if there are any for event horizon <laughs> The Well-Endowed Podcast by the Edmonton Community Foundation explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. Hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink and produced by Lisa Pruden, the podcast tells the stories of how ECF endowments intersect with the community. Subscribe at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Taproot Edmonton is a media outlet on a mission to help your community understand itself better. Take the Taproot survey to discover how you align with the candidates running for mayor and city council in Edmonton. Taproot put 30 multiple choice questions to those candidates. Now you can answer the same questions and see who agrees with you the most. The survey will be up until the polls close on October 18th, 2021. Visit taproot.vote slash match to give it a whirl. That's taproot.vote slash match. Welcome back to I Have Some Notes. We're talking Event Horizon. Uh, and since Scott isn't here, I'm going to go first because <laughs> I have just one big one that it stuck out to me immediately. Uh, and I, I once once the, the plot of the movie got going, I was I forgot about it and other than 
bring it up on the podcast. Um, but there, there was one part at the beginning that really, it, it sort of broke the verisimilitude for me. And I think it is an easy fix and I don't think it changes, uh, the movie too much. Um, there's, you know, we meet, we meet Dr. Weir. Great. And then he gets into cryo and we start meeting all of the characters. Great. Then they all are getting out of the cryo stasis. Great. That's more opportunity to meet them, get to know each other, get to know the characters. And then there's a big meeting in the main hall where uh, Dr. Weir explains to everyone, including Miller, Lawrence Fishburne, why they're there and what they're doing. Uh, and it is, um, uh, he, that's where he goes on to do the, take the nudie mag and like use it to explain how the black hole, the you know, warp space, drive, yeah. faster than light drive thing works. Um, uh, and, and a lot of the techno babble, it's the classic, like in English nerd, like in layman's terms scene happens. Uh, and, and there's two changes I would make to that scene. Um, or what I didn't like about it in one change. I don't. I get that they're like army people that they were like deployed to go do this job, and that part of the army is like you don't ask questions, you just follow orders. But I find it really, really hard to believe that everyone, including the captain, including Miller, went all the way to Neptune. Where was it? Neptune? You said Neptune. Neptune, all the way to Neptune, got into cryostasis for who knows how many days, hours, weeks. And got out and then asked, hey, what are we doing five minutes from Neptune? <laughs> um, everyone, including Miller, Weir is the only guy who knows why they're there. And I'm like, that's absurd. That That is very absurd. Um, and that's where I got to thinking like, okay, well, let's have them sort of find out what their mission is before they get into cryostasis on Earth. That's where we can learn some of the more about these characters. And I have since reneged. We don't need that. We don't need to know about them. They can all wake up outside of Neptune not knowing what's going on, except for Miller. That is my change. That is the thing that I would like to see fixed. Miller should know why they're there for two reasons. One, for everything I just said, it makes no sense. And two, the techno babble, like in English nerd, tell us what's going on, rip my nudie mag to explain science to me, scene would have worked better if there were two people who knew what was going on in the room. So, because there's, if you watch the movie, they do it in three beats. Weir explains faster than light black hole travel. Someone says, give it to me in layman's terms. He gives it to them in layman's terms. Then someone's like, no, even dumber, dumb it down even more. And then he rips the paper and the pencil, yada, yada. And if you had Miller know what was up, you have the doctor do the science babble, techno jargon, uh, doesn't understand nonsense monologue. Someone says in layman's terms, then Miller steps in to assure his crew exactly what they're doing and why they should care and how it applies to them. And then just for the dum-dums in the audience, we can have a paper ripping black hole scene back over at Dr. Beer's camera. Um. And I think that would have just smoothed out that opening a little bit, made it a little more believable that these people didn't travel millions of miles from home on a, on a whim, um, and wouldn't have made Weir have to repeat himself three times. <laughs> I, uh, I I don't mind that that change. I I, I think 
um, it's common for this type of scene to occur in, in specifically in science fiction. Um, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of uh, of Prometheus, where the crew is awoken from cryo sleep, and and then they get the four one one about what's happening. And I think part of the reason that it's done that way is uh, so that the audience can experience the isolation and dread along with the characters. Um, so I, I like I, on the one hand, I t- like I understand why it's done that way, even though it doesn't totally uh, make a ton of sense. Um, um, but like you know, they're already they're already at Venus. They're already in like a, a, a tough situation. So like you're what you're getting out of that scene is is you're 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 feeling that sense of tension because they're already. They're already far from home, uh, you know, in a tiny rickety sure. spaceship, and 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 now they're adding this extra layer to it. So I get why it's, your your fix yeah. doesn't necessarily ruin that though. It like it does it does have like a nice little bit of a character beat for Lawrence Fishburne. So I I think that it works. Yeah, because it I think what what struck me about it is it's it's the heroes it's the first couple steps of the hero's journey out of order. Um, they cross the threshold and then they answer the the call to adventure right yeah right and it's yeah. like at least have Lawrence Fishburne the captain answer the call to adventure and then bring him and his crew across the threshold yeah and to actually yeah. now that I think of it that to a certain extent that's actually exactly how it happens in Prometheus because the two doctors we have that opening scene with them discovering the the paintings and all that kind of stuff so that's their answer to the adventure right yeah so yep yeah. makes sense to me that- that's that's about my only note. The rest of it's weird and trippy. I would have liked to have seen the blood orgy, but I get why we didn't. <laughs> my note is that at the beginning of the movie, it starts with a series of uh, text blocks telling you first lunar colony founded in 2015, uh, Permanent mining operations begin 2021 uh, on Mars and um, Event Horizon launched in 2040. That's not really relevant. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. t- introduce us to the Event Horizon when the crew hears about the Event Horizon. Like, but yeah. that was lost you know, seven years ago, because the, the movie's in 2047 and the event horizon was lost in 2040. And, mm-hmm. like, this is actually a pet peeve of mine that shows up a lot in 1990s sci-fi movies in general, is that text scroll thing, where mm. it just spoon-feeds the audience world-building. And just, just, just weave it in. Just weave it in. This isn't entirely related, but it, remi- it reminds me of um, of the one thing I don't like about the thing is uh, the thing starts off with a shot of a UFO falling to Earth, and it just doesn't like it doesn't really work for me for the like the you know like it's kind of showing me its cards before the movie even gets started like i think it works yeah like the mystery works a lot better because like the the rest of the opening is is uh a bunch of norwegians chasing down a dog and that is it's such an odd opening that it's like i would have preferred to have been 
uh, just along for the ride of like, why are these guys shooting at a dog? I don't get it. You know, rather than rather than getting like the the impetus that there is there's something otherworldly uh, about it. And you can maybe you can even infer that it's it's that dog itself. Um, and the same with like a lot of a lot of title crawls and stuff like that. Like it's it's, um, you know, you're <laughs> you're you're explaining a lot to me that sometimes I would just rather learn as I go throughout the movie. Um, you know, uh, I think you're, I think you're right that like, I would, I would have preferred to have discovered, uh, the whole thing about the event horizon along with the crew. I think that would have been a bit more fun. Yeah. There's, there's definitely more elegant ways to do it. I think like, like Olav said, just weave it in or even just, just something less brute force than a, than text scroll. I think that is one of the things I like about, um, Zack Snyder's Watchmen is it fills in all sorts of backstory with the title crawl. Like, the titles also f- do the world building in a way that's really visually interesting and exciting uh, instead of just, like, text on a screen, especially because we just watched a bunch of text on a screen in the, the opening credits. It's, it's like the first four minutes of this movie is text on a screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, uh, Patrick H. Willems has an excellent video about the art of the of the opening scene that's that sort that's of, ex- of that. yeah, extols yeah. those kind of virtues of world building within the uh, the title sequences. So, uh, yeah, it's good that you brought that up. So one thing I this is only slightly a note, but it's something I would have really loved in this movie is a post-credit sequence where somebody on Earth is building the Cygnus from uh, the movie The Black Hole, 1979's The Black Hole. No? Go on. I'm the only one who's <laughs> no, watched. I'm not fam- uh, sorry, I'm not familiar with it. Yeah. Oh, um, in my mind, Event Horizon is a prequel to the 1979 Disney science fiction movie The Black Hole, in which a mad scientist has built a uh, starship that can go faster than light by using a black hole, uh, and he ends up in hell. Um, so in my mind, there is a, an Event Horizon cinematic universe of two movies, Event Horizon and The Black Hole. <laughs> Sweet. Actually, I was reading the Wikipedia article for this movie, and I guess there are some people who have a similar theory to you, Olav, except that this movie is a prequel um, to something uh, uh, that happens uh, 40,000 years later, uh, a little series you might know as Warhammer 40K. <laughs> um because a lot of the this like faster than light warp drive stuff, um, uh, and and its you know tangential relation to hell shows up in Warhammer 40k lore, and so some people like to 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 varying degrees of seri- seriousness suggest that Event Horizon is part of the Warhammer 40k extended universe. It it does work like the visuals, also the design, the aesthetic. I can see that. Yeah. Greg, so, any? Yeah, I um. I have some thoughts about Lawrence Fishburne's character and um, maybe we'll have to group think this a little bit, but I would, I, I was thinking that maybe his character arc would be a bit more interesting if he was kind of uh, more of an asshole and if he was more um, kind of directly responsible for his past crewmate burning alive because it's like the way he tells the story, it was like, it was, you know, either 
it was kind of like an us or them kind of situation, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think if he was kind of more of like a callous, unfeeling kind of dude who was just like um, either going by the book, um, doing things like straight laced and just like, nope, this was, you know, we, you know, there was a fire on board, we have to get out and, you know, everyone else be damned kind of thing or, or whatever, like just uh, something that... Um, puts him more in the driver's seat of that person's death so that when he's um, haunted by it, that we could have a bit more of an arc and a a bit more of a change in his character. Because I I feel like he, he, I mean, he's already pretty guilty about it. Um, He doesn't, I don't see like, there's not much of a change to him. Like he's already, he he already, he already feels like he, he fucked up and then he, and then, you know, he, he ends up saving his, his crew, which is great. But I, I kind of like to have seen a bit more of a journey for him. I can see that, but it's really hard with Lawrence Fishburne because he's just got that presence of quiet, solid, good guy, right? Like Mm. it's, it would be hard to cast him in that kind of role. I could see Idris Elba pull, pulling that role off. Sure. Yeah. Um, I have a suggestion then, uh, Greg, if you want him to, uh, um, if, if the, the death that he's responsible for was much more of a like, eh, fuck it, leave him to die, kind of like have it be less of a, less of a empathetic thing and more of a callous thing, mm-hmm. perhaps that is mirrored or reflected or reinforced rather uh, in his approach to going to the event horizon at all, where he's like, well, who the fuck cares about this space station? Who the fuck cares about the crew that was on it? They knew what they were getting into. They're outside of Neptune, for for Christ's sake. Like, yeah. they, they knew it was a suicide, and now we have to go on a suicide mission to get him back? My whole crew, who just woke up from cryostasis and are finding this out for the first time? Um, what's, what's there to love about the, like What's so special about this event horizon? And then that gets Dr. Weir all hopped up on you know, science. Uh, and then it's the the course of the movie then can have him maybe not learning why it's important to save the event horizon, but why it is important to go back for people to, to save your, save us or save yourself. Right. Yeah. I kind of like the idea of him and we're at cross purposes. Like they, 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 they start, they start the movies in, in opposite places and end the movie in, in the opposite place. Like he's, he's kind of like, he, he's kind of like in a, in a sense, he's going to hell at the beginning of the movie and then sort of redeems himself. Whereas Sam Neill is, appears to be the more, um, altruistic character, uh, science, 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 you know, it's good for discovery and that kind of stuff. And then he's the one who's en- ends up going to, to hell at the end of the movie. I do want to say, yeah. speaking of him, his, sacrifice at the end of the movie i think one of the reasons this movie has had enduring appeal to myself and to legions of uh event horizon fans of which there are many um Mm -hmm. i think one of the big reasons for its enduring appeal is the fact that it sticks the landing you know everything from when uh Sam Neill has gone crazy. Everything from there to the very end is memorable. You've got these amazing lines, uh, you know, where we're going, we won't need eyes to see. Hell is only a word. The reality is far worse. Like, it, it is quotable in those last 20 minutes. And then it ends off on this, have they escaped hell or have they just brought hell back to Earth with them? Like, there's that 
that uncertainty. So on one hand, you've got Miller's uh, sacrifice, that note of hope. You've got that note of, oh shit, um, is is Peters, the medical technician, is she uh, tainted with hell? Has she brought it back with her? Like, there's that tension, and it's unresolved, and it's so good as an ending. The speaking of memorable things, that the the airlock scene I think is probably the standout scene of the movie for me. Um, it's t- loads of good tension that like they, the the kid uh, Justin, Justin who who had initially gone through the portal spends uh, much of the movie kind of in a catatonic coma, then suddenly wakes up and and puts himself inside the the airlock and has turned it on. And he's about to be sucked out. Um, and just that moment where they're screaming at him and he sort of comes to and realizes, he, you know, he doesn't know where he is. And suddenly he realizes the the amount of danger he is, he's in. Um, very, very good scene. Uh, well-built tension, um, you know, and, uh, and, and kind of gross, too, the way that, uh, the, the way that uh, his eyes start bleeding and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, there's lots of pretty, yeah. there's lots of pretty memorable stuff going on in there. Lines like home, I am home, or mm. you can't do infinity and beyond. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what was the other one? What was your other good quote? Uh, they designed, I designed her to go to explore the universe, but she went much further to a universe of pure chaos, pure evil. Like, <laughs> love this movie. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely definitely gonna stick with me. I think the part that'll stick with me, having seen it, is the the weird like the 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 <laughs> the 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 ooky mess left by the blood bacchanal that happened before they got there. Uh, still, sort of stuck to the walls. I thought was a really nice like it was a nice mix of like ho- like horror set and science fiction set meeting in a really nice way. Yeah. And that, that so many scenes just take place in front of like the blood wall like full conversations about like character and plot and just in front of this like wall of blood. <laughs> yeah. I, I will, I will say that they don't seem to react to that. Um, that mess is, uh, maybe as seriously as they maybe should. I don't know. There's so, like, it's, it feels like they kind of ignore it slightly. I, I'm going to chalk that one up to editing. I'm going to chalk yeah, that was be. up. Like the, if there's a 20 minute, uh, blood orgy, blood orgy maggot scene that got cut, I'm sure there's also footage of them reacting to it. <laughs> you know, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. But uh, we've uh, yeah, I think we've uh, I think we've uh, tightened up whatever uh, screws might need to be tightened. But honestly, like like Olaf said, this may, movie might uh, be better just left as its own uh, strange enigma, of, uh, flawed yet somehow perfect in its flaws. Um, but that doesn't mean our listeners didn't have some uh, some feedback, some notes of their own. Uh, if you want to get on on the notes having, uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at I have some notes and on Instagram at I have some notes pod. Uh, when we solicit your comments, you're going to give them to us, and then I'm going to read them like I'm about to now. Uh, uh, Harley at Case of the Muns says, It was good, but I definitely had beef with some things that I've grown to dismiss since the horror stuff is such a banger. Yeah, I think, I think, I think that's fair. I, I think you could say that about a lot of 
horror movies to be honest with you <laughs> like you like yeah. um the the spectacle is is a good chunk of what you're there for um you know you, if you if you go see you know um a uh, uh like a kung fu movie like you're there to see some punching and kicking uh plot secondary yeah this definitely had had a, a, a plot and and just like themes and ideas to to back up the, the yeah. pretty bizarre horror stuff so. Jeff Martin says, other than a little bit of CGI that doesn't hold up, it's still quite good. Shockingly good visuals for 1997 and a very cruel premise for a space horror movie. Yeah, I feel like we did that. You guys made me watch that Life movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that was seemed like this. It, life wishes it was Event Horizon. <laughs> yeah, uh, Life was another one that was like, this is pretty close to being good. Um, uh, I, I definitely enjoyed Event Horizon more, for sure. And Nathan Martin comments, uh, I have to be honest, this is one of my faves. There is a very good horror movie in this story. There's also some odd choices in the film. I know that Paul W.S. Anderson has said that the studio made him cut back a lot and meddled in the edit. Fishburne is great in this movie. I think most of the actors are. A good old-fashioned haunted house in space with a gateway to hell in the basement. I got nothing, but I can't wait to hear you fix it. Fuck this shit. (laughs) Smartest line ever said in a movie like this. (laughs) I also like the uh, we're leaving line uh, after they watch the uh, the blood orgy. <laughs> That's pretty great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was very, I, I didn't find a good place to sneak this in, but I found this movie had a good sense of place. I knew, I like, I always knew kind of like where they were, like where all the characters were in relation to one another and in relation, especially for a spaceship I've never been on. Yeah, it was a huge ship, but they, they I mean, they really only had two or three sets. Like they, you know, there was the medical bay, there was the the bridge. Um, and not and that the big a cast and the, the yeah, Lewis and Clark. Yeah, not that big a not that big a cast, not that many sets, but they made the most of all of it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, uh, thank thank you both for uh, bringing this film to my attention because I don't know that I would have ever picked it up were it not for this podcast. So, and now I get to to <laughs> sweet sweet blood orgy in my back pocket. Yeah. <laughs> I want to pull it out. It's a Christmas tradition in my household. Oh, nice. It's our, it's oh, yeah, our favorite Christmas sense. movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. It's, it's set in in uh, 2047, but specifically December 24th, yeah, yeah. 2047. <laughs> it's not relevant. You know, the sun's miles away, but... <laughs> That's yeah, we'll set it at Christmas. Oh, that's that's funny. That was one of the best tweets I saw about about the whole is Die Hard a Christmas movie, you know, played out discourse is like Oh, is it a Chris? Is it a Christmas movie? Because you watch it every year with your family, and your family likes it. No, no. Is oh, it's just because it's set at yeah, just because it's set at Christmas. <laughs> it's like any movie is a Christmas movie if you watch it every Christmas. So yeah, hell yeah. Um, cool. Well, uh, we picked it for Halloween, but perhaps this might be my new favorite Christmas movie too. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Olaf, for joining us. We we appreciate you uh, uh, being here, especially on short notice. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, can I ask how, where, where, last time we, we talked to you, the unofficial Hugo Book Club blog was shortlisted for the very awards you, you stand. Um, ha, has there been any development on that? Oh, no. Uh, the voting is going on currently. Uh, the award ceremony is in late December, I think the 18th. Uh, so um, if you are one of the many hundreds of people who vote on the Hugos every year, uh, hey, give us a vote in your fanzine uh, category. You know, uh, there's a lot of 
great nominees, and uh, yeah, I, I'm very excited about it. Cool. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll certainly uh, um, keep our listeners abreast because I'm I'm excited to find out, and uh, would love would love to be able to bring you have the next time you're on be to celebrate uh, that that win. So cool. Uh, once again, you can uh, follow that at uh, at Hugo underscore book underscore club or uh, at the blog, the unofficial Hugo Book Club blog. Thank you, Olaf. Thanks. Uh, this is uh, this has been the show. Uh, thanks. Uh, please follow us on social media and uh, wherever it is you download this podcast and listen to it. Uh, giving us a like, uh, a subscribe, or gasp a review uh, is much appreciated. It really does help us out. And, uh, you know, don't forget to uh, check out the Alberta Podcast Network, uh, albertapodcastnetwork.com. Uh, adding tons of new shows all the time. So uh, if you're into, uh, into local Alberta content, yep, that's your place to be. And uh, tune in two weeks. Um, we're going to be talking Halloween movies for a little bit of a side note. So, uh, so time to talk some spooky movies. Uh, until then, I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Greg Beaver. Keep watching the skies.